Yes, what is good? You're tuned into Pi Radio, Manchester's number one youth-led radio station. My name's Gerns, and welcome back to another episode of Mango Masala, the South Asian show. I'm joined here today by a slightly flustered Lima, <laughs> just raced up the stairs. I'm trying not to like breathe too hard onto the mic, but like I'm very out of breath right now. I literally legged it up the stairs. Bit of like ASMR. <sighs> yeah, there, there you go, guys. <laughs> Hope you enjoy that, oh. guys. But you know what, you've just been saying about how hot it is, but like, you like that though, don't you? I do like that, yeah. yeah. I do like that. I feel like, I, I feel a bit heated right now, literally because I have actually just legged it up the stairs, but like, yeah. when I've caught my breath and stuff, it's a nice heat, I love it. Yeah, I'm yeah. so glad we're finally getting the summer that we've been waiting for. Yeah, I was saying this is mad because it's kind of like, it just came out of nowhere. Do you know it's what very, I mean? It, it was very, too, like a week ago, it was like... Cold. Yeah, and... It was raining. Yeah. Like it was raining cats and dogs. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll be back sooner than rather will, than later, but like, yeah, we can enjoy it whilst it lasts exactly. anyway. I'm not wasting this uh, this sun at all. <laughs> when I tell you motive every day, that's what I'm on, guys. Yeah, stay in the sun as much as possible. Yeah. Oh, right. So, first point of discussion today, which I'm sure you're going to be very happy about, Bangladesh is rich, apparently. Uh, so, apparently. Apparently. Like, Good caveat. Apparently. Well... I've got the um, stats here, actually. I did my research. and so Per we, capita, isn't it? Yeah, so if we look at um, the past, yeah. obviously when Bangladesh came to be in 1971, um, Pakistan was 70% richer than them. Yeah. Now, Bangladesh is 45% richer than Pakistan. Um, ah. And India as well, who like to obviously be like, oh, yeah, we have a really good econ- economy in that. Per capita in is 194 sorry 1947 dollars versus bangladesh which is 2227 dollars so bangladesh oh, per wow. capita is more and apparently the reasons for this yes, are three on. reasons it's exports social yep. progress and fiscal prudence so with exports these have grown 8.6% each year in the past decade compared to the world average of 0.4. So wow. literally so much more. Mm-hmm. Social progress, whereas India and Pakistan, um, women in labour forces has actually gone down. Mm-hmm. In Bangladesh, it's increased. Which yep. obviously we don't know whether that's actually... I is, mean, is everything it, is you're saying, listen, we'll discuss this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, discuss, yeah. but go on. Yeah, <laughs> Say it, your points. I'm, it's like... It's, yeah, well, yeah, we'll get to that. Um, and then also fiscal prudence. So Bangladesh maintained a public debt to GDP ratio between 30 to 40 percent, whereas India and Pakistan are going to come out of the pandemic close to 90 percent. So it's allowed Bangladesh to basically borrow and invest, whereas mm-hmm. India and Pakistan haven't been able to do that as much. Mm-hmm. Will this last? Well, before we get into the various ethics mm-hmm. regarding Mm. all that stuff mm-hmm. it's very likely that because bangladesh is in a better situation now they're gonna have to give up some of the privileges that they had when they didn't have aid, yeah. yeah so uh, such as they're not gonna have tariff-free access to developed economies yeah. and also obviously a lot of like clothes and garments come from bangladesh mm-hmm. whereas now like i think vietnam was using the, as an example their economy got better and they had to shift to more high value exports mm. But going back to the reasons why we're in this place, I let, let's start with the whole social progress thing. So, yes, women are more in the work labour force, mm-hmm. but what is this labour if we think mm-hmm. about that? Mm-hmm. So this is this is actually kind of like 
I mean, obviously, as a Bangladeshi, I am like, on the one hand, I'm like, okay, great. Like, the country has made a lot of progress. Um, financial prosperity is often part of an index that measures, like, post-colonial recovery, I guess. Um, so, in that way, yeah, it's great. But also, like... Uh, Guys, this is, I'm sorry, but I like, hear the Marxist in me is going to jump out right now, you know? <laughs> when we talk about, Bang okay, so Bangladesh is, one of Bangladesh's largest um, economies, like, is is uh, export, you know, f uh, particularly textiles industry, right? I think it's like the second or third largest industry in Bangladesh. Um, and the problem is, is that, okay, it generates a lot of, like, money, great, but it's all, it's an informal economy. So informal economy means that there are basically, like, almost no workplace rights. Like, there are, you know, it's just, it's just slave labour, essentially. Like, what it yeah. is is essentially slave labour. Like, the way people are working in factories, like, they're working in horrendous conditions with, like, literally earning pennies, um, sweatshop labour, sweatshop labor, slave labour, however you want to put it. Like, it's not, even though the outcome is, is kind of, um, like, you can, you can measure it in terms of, like I said before, like, financial prosperity and whatever else. Like, the actual conditions that facilitate this are not indicative of progress, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, specifically, like, we speak about women and, and all, the, all, all that kind of stuff. Like, the conditions are just terrible, guys. It's, yeah. it's literally slave labour. Can you really call that progress? Exactly. Really. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, um. Yeah. We uh, don't want <laughs> it's literally it's saying it out loud is like we don't want diversity in in the form of slave labor. You exactly, know what I mean? Like exactly. you want to. We don't want prosperity that comes from slave labor. Yeah. Like, um, one of the things that really facilitated Bangladesh's like economic growth was the fact that they have a, um, a, like a seismic workforce because obviously the one of the I think it's like the most populated or one of the most pop densely populated, um, countries in the world, um, and. Like that—that that is basically like what they've utilized. They've utilized their workforce, um, but again, all that does is kind of like render individual workers as like disposable, um, because it's 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 classed as like low skill labor or like unskilled labor, which there is no such thing as low skill or unskilled mm. labor, by the way, guys. But that's like technically how it's classed, um, and and it's it's um what they've done is like they've they've taken this like mass population of of people made them workers um and therefore been able to like really uh capitalize on like certain industries for example the textiles industries in that way but again it's you're you're just like treating people like machines you know yeah. that, that's literally exactly what it is um the the workplace violations in bangladesh are like terrible um factories i mean like in 2013 we had like the rana plaza um disaster i don't know if you guys know it's like a factory that collapsed and it's because like there are no rules or regulations there, you know. Mm. So like to the outside, we're looking in. It's like, oh yeah, great, so much financial prosperity, but it's like at what cost? Oh, um, from a like ignorant perspective, yeah. Um, is there a very wide gap between the rich and the poor in Bangladesh? It's ridiculously, yeah, yeah. ridiculously, like yeah. it, like insane. And I always find this in like poorer countries where um the wealth gap is just insane it's crazy like in bangladesh the rich are super rich and like 90 percent of the country is just like poor mm. you know so it's like okay yeah the the country the state the state is now quote-unquote rich or, or or like richer than you know it's south asian counterparts or whatever else but it's like the people aren't the people mm. absolutely are not 
So do you think it's really something to be celebrating then? No. No. <laughs> I mean, like... No, man. No, no, like, when you think about it, it's not... No. Like, realistically, what are we celebrating? That Bangladesh can basically say, ha to Pakistan and yeah. India, but it's not even, like, justified. Yeah. And that's not to say that the situation isn't similar in India and Pakistan anyway, because yeah, exactly, it is. Yeah, exactly. But... Exactly. Yeah, it's not really a sign of that much progress. No. So it's just you just always have to ask at what cost. You know, yeah. like at what cost? When most of the country's still poor, when people aren't even allowed to like workers aren't even allowed to unionize, when they're working in spot shop conditions, like under slave labor, when that puts them in uh closer proximity to death every single day, when the economy is is largely informal, what at what cost? So if you were like appointed head of bangladesh now, what, what, would you, what would you do like socialism yeah. apart from like redistributing the wealth and that or like if we're thinking like realistically now formalize the formalize the um the the industries particularly the garment industry yeah because women make up most of the workforce you know in the garment industry so definitely formalize the garment industry like Get rid of sweatshop conditions. Like, it's really as simple as that. You know, give workers rights. Pay them mm. properly. Simple as. It is. Do you think that that would affect the actual yeah. export? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, the whole the whole kind of Bangladesh is like USP in this economic growth. Um, or what has been really characteristic of the economic growth is the fact that they've had such a lot large workforce at their disposal. But disposal here is like, the operative word because they've rendered these people disposable when there's more of something it is of less value yeah. like economically speaking that's what that's that is that that is economic logic right but in this case the commodities are humans it is like just <clears throat> i mean because i'm sure some people look at this and be like oh like why can't you just like be happy be happy like celebrate the successes but it's like I'll be it happy when like, workers get their rights, you know, when workers yeah. get paid properly, when some of that wealth is is, is, is redistributed to the people that helped generate that wealth, mm-hmm. or the people that did generate the wealth entirely. Definitely. Right, so the next point of conversation, and Halima, I think you want to take ahead on this one just because you brought this to mm. the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you said, like, it hasn't been that, it isn't something that's necessarily had that much traction recently but mm-hmm. i when i was looking into it it's very obvious that it's still a very important ongoing issue yeah. so yeah, yeah, go yeah. for it um so basically what we want to talk about is the re- re- oh my god <laughs> the rohingya uh, genocide and the rohingya refugee crisis um so for those who don't know um the rohingya are a ethnic minority who um live in the rakhine state of um myanmar formerly burma um and they are so Bur- so myanmar if i use the two words burma and myanmar interchangeably apologize but they're the same country um essentially so myanmar is essentially is um generally a buddhist majority um they have various ethnic groups and, and whatever else and um the rohingya they are a muslim minority um now the myanmar authorities they but the Myanmar authorities and the Myanmar general public as well they basically don't accept that 
the Rohingya people are native to Burmese land. Um, they think that they are descendants from so Myanmar um, borders Bangladesh right so Myanmar authorities and public say that the Rohingya people are they, they, they come from Bangladesh basically because they're Muslim they come from Bangladesh um, they don't belong there they're set they settled there um, they're not Burmese like their ethnic group is the ethnicity is not recognized um, in 1982 they passed a nationality law nationality bill citizenship bill i think um basically and they didn't recognize they didn't recognize the rohingya people as part of as being a part of um like the myanmar public um so this discrimination has been like ongoing with the rohingya people in the borders of myanmar for a long long time for decades um they were discriminated in, in several ways like uh, restriction of movement like restrictions in terms of access to like education medical help um housing employment just just general discrimination and then in 2017 well in 2018 there's there was like um, an exodus of like um there was riots in the Rakhine state basically there was riots between the Rohingya people and um the the Buddhist populations and the Myanmar states um that that led to like an exodus of of, of I think it was like 200,000 um Rohingya right. refugees <clears throat> I think I think yeah, I, I might be wrong I read way more than that oh that was initially in, oh, in okay, 2012 yeah, yeah, yeah. um and then in 2000 and 17 there was a huge huge like terrifyingly violent military crackdown now of the rohingya people and i'm talking about um systemic kind of like massacres when i say genocide i mean like they were they are systemically they were or they are still systemically murdering the rohingya people um burning down rohingya villages uh raping i'm sorry trigger warning rape and violence like raping um rohingya women murdering infanticide so like literally murdering slaughtering kids and babies um I, yeah literally just murder, murdering them like i don't know how else to put it murdering inflicting like in unimaginable violence on them and as a result of it like um so many like i think over a million rohingya re refugees have basically fled to neighboring bangladesh the southeast of bangladesh in cox's bazaar um and to this day there are one million rohingya refugees living in bangladesh right now um it is the largest uh refugee camp in the world um the 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 exodus from the of the rohingya people from burma to bangladesh has been cited as being the largest displacement of people in asia since the vietnam war um it's just crazy like it is it's, it's an ongoing problem it's an absolutely ongoing problem um the burmese government the Myanmar government they're not taking any responsibility um it's so ironic as well because the leader of that country she has a nobel peace prize <laughs> she has a nobel uh, peace prize it's, oh yeah i read something about them being like human rights like yeah, icon or something before yeah, and like yeah, yeah she has a nobel peace prize um bangladesh obviously have had no choice but to take in um as i said over a million rohingya refugees oh and also by the way like when i say it's the largest refugee camp in the world they're also living in absolute squalor yeah. like they they 80 percent of rohingyas are currently in in need of humanitarian aid um they don't have access to like food medical equipment what clean water uh like they're, they're they're not even living basically right now um recently as well 
I think this was during Ramadan, um, a fire broke out in mm. one of the refugee camps. 50,000 people were killed. Um, Bangladesh tried to repatriate some of the re- refugees back to Myanmar. They tried to give some of them back to Myanmar, knowing the pers- persecution that they would face back there. Bangladesh have also tried to send some of the refugees to uninhabitable islands mm-hmm. to, in a bit to try and deal with, with the issue. <sighs> not very commendable. Well, not commendable. No, all, no, no, no. Yeah. It's an ongoing issue. Um, not very many people are aware of it. And mm. actually, one thing that I wanted to talk about is how, surprise, surprise, <laughs> this issue has roots in colonialism. Surprise, really? surprise, surprise, <laughs> well, isn't surprise. That, isn't that completely unexpected? Yeah. So one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that obviously they see it as kind of like a recent issue. Um, with with the, after the riots in two thousand and twelve, and then the military crackdown in two thousand and seventeen. Um, but they don't realize. So so obviously, as with most of South Asia, Burma was also under British rule until nineteen forty eight, and then so so. The, the Burmese, actually, wait, I'm trying to trying to think how's the best way to explain this. So Burma was under military, uh, was under uh, British rule until 1948, and then you see South Asia as it is right now. So you see like India, the nation state of India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Burma. There, these are colonial constructs, right? So borders did not a colonial constructs. They did not exist in pre-colonial subcontinent. Um, regionalism was a thing, yeah, sure, but borders as we know them, nation states, n- nationalities, they did not exist in that way, right? So the the disease of, of, of nationhood and like nationalism, that is very much a colonial hangover. Now, when Burma suddenly became Burma, suddenly became a nation state in the pre-colonial, in the post-colonial period, um, like all nation states, it needed to have a sense of identity, right? And obviously, like I said, it's quite ethnically homogenous, uh, sorry, ethnically heterogeneous. So like there's various uh, ethnic groups in Burma. They needed to unite under one. Like, like I said, with all, all ex-colonies, they then adopt a certain strain of nationalism to give them that post-colonial identity, right? In the wake of... Um, decolonization so Burma adopted this kind of uh, Burmese nationalism where uh, it was very very linked to Buddhist identity so but like I said majority of the country, country is Buddhist now as a result of that the Rohingya people who are an ethnic minority and a religious ethno ethno religious minority basically um, they didn't fit into this vision of um of burmese nationalism now as a result of that burma didn't accept them it didn't it didn't include them within the imaginations of what it is to be burmese um and they therefore palmed them off by to, to bangladesh basically by saying like these are uh, bangladeshi kind of settlers they're from bangladesh uh, they don't belong here they're a minority they're so different to us now this is what is so terrifying and so masterful also about colonialism as i said before Borders are a colonial construct. Regionalism, if one group of people live close to another group of people, there are going to be similarities. Now, this is the anthropologist in me, in me jumping out. Like Ethnography, the way we understand ethnography and the way we understand like, ethnicity, they're all, it's so tentative. You know, it's so tentative, it's so precarious. Like, what even makes a person's ethnicity? We can talk about, like, regional linguistic similarities and whatever else, but if two people live in proximity to each other, of course there are going to be similarities. If they share a border, there's going to be similarities. That does not necessarily mean that the two people are the same people or that one person came from another person. 
the Rohingya people have claimed to that land. They have uh, proof of their existence can be traced back to like the medieval times, basically. So they've been there. They belong there. They are native to that land. Um, but Burma, in a bit to make more rigid their uh, Burmese kind of like uh, mono state, they needed to alienate uh, the the Rohingya people. They needed to like other the Rohingya people, and that's how they did it. And again, like um, going off on a bit of a tangent, but. It's just so funny, like how, how perfectly anecdotal this is to the treatment of Bangladeshis in the subcontinent. Like, why are they calling them specifically Bangladeshi? It's not just to say that they're different from us; it's to say that they're they're lower than us, they're inferior to us. Mm. Because if we look at the way that specifically Bangladeshi Muslims are and have been treated in the subcontinent, genocide at the hands of, um, you know. Pakistan um being put in concentration camps up and down in India right now um Bangladeshi massacres in in the state of Assam in India like Bangladeshis have been treated as though they are an inferior group of people so when the Myanmar authorities call the Rohingya um Bangladeshi it's a very deliberate labeling they're not just saying they're different as I said they're saying they're inferior um so again it's really important for us to understand the colonial roots of this problem um and essentially like how nationalism is a disease and nothing good can ever come from it but more so i want to to, like i said there's it's not something that there's been like a breakthrough in the news recently although there is always break breakthroughs like happening because it's an ongoing issue but it's something that it just does not get as much media traction as it should you know like the un have have named the rohingya as um uh, one of if not the most discriminated ethnic groups in the world um they have called them the quote-unquote least wanted group of people in the world mm-hmm. um you know what i think really showed that as well was when i when you said you wanted to talk about this and i was looking into it more mm. actually reading about it and i was reading about like what happened and everything and i was like okay but but why yeah and then i was like looking like well why and like there's no real Mm -hmm. reason why it is just plain discrimination like it's not like there was like obviously there's triggers and this and that but like it's not like oh they didn't like um they didn't like them because of this this that is they didn't like them because they exist that, yeah that, that, that's it's, it's yeah, as yeah, simple yeah. as that yeah, I think yeah, yeah that's it's just islamophobia it's islamophobia mm. it's nationalism it's discrimination like however you want to put it, it is it like it is and also like again um i forgot to mention uh divide and conquer like naturally the british um they and, and other like colonial masters as well they they rule through divide and conquer right so um they'd go to like a place where like i said before borders don't exist they'd look at various uh ethnic groups and whatever else um and then they'd like um align themselves in differential ways with various ethnic groups um so as to emphasize differences between them to keep them separated so while they were in control of burma um they kind of promised the rohingya people their own separate nation state um which they you know subsequently rescinded but um they had emphasized that difference during the the colonial era Mm -hmm. and obviously that difference then remained just like to give like I got some like figures as well. Oh so yeah, sorry. Like, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If not... To understand the magnitude yeah. of it. Sorry, yeah, I, I, I didn't. So like, obviously, you're saying like I think it might be a million, like including like before mm. like 2017 as well. But the ones that I got apparently since August 2017, mm-hmm. when the most recent mm-hmm. exodus happened, 
since that point, 745,000 fled, Mm -hmm. of which Mm -hmm. 400,000 were children. Mm -hmm. Bear in mind that the um, Rohingya population in um, Myanmar before this was around 1 million. So that is basically three quarters of a whole population getting Mm -hmm. up and going in the space of a month, Mm -hmm. pretty much, or like since August 2017. At least... um, 290 around that villages burned like you said obviously sexual assault murder mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at least 6.7 thousand rohingya including at least 730 children under the age of five mm. were killed in this month like between august and september the government um of myanmar puts the death rate at 400 and claimed that the um, pillages ended like a few weeks afterwards which 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 they obviously didn't and yeah so like if you i think it i think especially when we talk about him like palestine and um Mm. the idea of ethnic cleansing Mm -hmm. just like we look at the map and see um palestine getting smaller and smaller and israel getting larger and larger Mm -hmm just like that 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 figure is what really stuck with me was like yes there are around one million of them prior to 2017 and then since then three quarters of that have left yeah like yeah and uh, it is i think it's genocide like when you're systemically murdering off a group of people for their ethnic their ethnicity that is genocide like that there are like every single human rights watch organization has called it a human rights abuses and then the the, the leader she goes um i'm saying leader because i don't know if it's president or prime minister but um she she said oh which country doesn't have human rights abuses what the one you who, with the your, one who with, yeah the one you with your nobel <laughs> peace prize okay okay this is what you fix your lips to oh say okay look at your head but yeah oh. i don't know like it's it, i don't know what the solution is honestly i don't know um i'm also like oh, bangladesh also has it's been disappointing the way that Bangladesh have dealt with it? Um, in two thousand and twelve, after the first kind of um riots, well, I say first, but like in as as the issue is right now, um, the the riots in two thousand and twelve, um, Sheikh Hasina, um, the Prime Minister of Bangladesh, she came forward and she said, "Oh, we can't take them. We're a poor country ourselves. Like we can't accommodate for them." Blah 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 blah. And then more recently, in the, um, once they had gotten a little bit more like international media traction she was then coming forward and saying things like yeah um yeah we'll house them we'll house them whatever else like her intentions are just not pure like they're just not Mm. you know um and again like i said the way that they've dealt with it by trying to send them to uninhabitable islands absolutely despicable like Mm. um they're still in they're still in refugee camps. It's been years. It's been years, half a decade, and they're living in refugee camps. Bangladesh won't grant them any path to naturalization, so it won't grant them a path path to citizenship. I've heard stories about Rohingya children, some Rohingya children that have managed to enroll themselves in Bangladeshi schools, not being allowed to learn the Bangladeshi language. Uh, sorry, Bangladeshi language, the Bangla language, um, which again is is. It's so sinister, you know, because mm. like if you think about language as being uh, a pivot to nationality and citizenship, yeah, like same way that um, I know I've spoken about 
um, my research with like the indigenous people in Bangladesh, right? So it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. The indigenous people in Bangladesh, they're not allowed to speak their native tongue. They're forced to speak Bangla. That is to say they are forced to perform Bangladeshi citizenship. Now, in the same way, the Rohingya are forbidden from speaking Bangla. That is to say they are precluded from performing a Bangladeshi citizenship. Like the way language can be used to oppress and, mm. and enforce and um, withdraw citizenship in so many different ways yeah. yeah i mean that's the whole phd thesis in itself but like mm. we just have to be cognizant and very aware that these things are happening um there are various like um organizations that give um aid to the rohingya the ones that i the one in particular that i would really recommend is an organization called restless beings um you can google them you can find them on instagram twitter facebook um and they do like really really good on the ground work that um uh, in the refugee camps in Bangladesh, providing like medical equipment, providing uh, schooling, um, housing, clothing, food, all of that. Um, I think it's just really important for us to be aware. Like I said, it is one of like, it is a huge travesty. Mm-hmm. And it's something that just does not get. Yeah, definitely. Because when I think, I think something must have happened with it recently because I remember I was driving in up toward you know you know princess park where you know where it like yeah, yeah, gets yeah. like into town and it reaches the mancunian way yeah there's like a bridge there like yeah, near, near yeah, loretto yeah. i think yeah and um the myanmar flag was there and it's, I, it's still, I, I saw it yesterday yeah I saw it yesterday. yeah i was like oh, oh so that's some, that's happened. a different issue yeah cause is this because I, I was trying to find this ahead of this the whole free yeah. so um, there there there's a um there's an issue going on in Myanmar right now with uh, kind of like the, the there's a military crackdown on like the general Myanmar public so um, like censorship um, media censorship um, journalists are being jailed people aren't given access to like people are um, taking access away from social media um, that just bare human rights abuses basically like so yeah they're just trash, you know. The Myanmar government are just trash. Like, yeah, Myanmar people, um, we're not coming for you. We're just criticizing. Well, the ones that are yeah. the ones that are like against the Rohingya people and yeah, like burning are, up their are, villages. Yeah, we are yeah, coming for you, <laughs> but innocent people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just think of that before we move on from this. Just you know, when you were saying before, I was just thinking about how obviously this problem. In, in Myanmar is rooted in colonialism like you said yeah however the way that they're acting now and Bangladesh is acting now mm, mm. um obviously it isn't great in terms of no they need to be refugees. absolutely but thinking about that is there any country or any situation like that has existed in recent history where we can look to that as a model for housing refugees and doing the right thing because I, I can't think of any no 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 does that mean that it's not necessarily possible or does that mean people just don't want to do it it's not not possible at all like um like we that that is treacherous territory i think (laughs) um Mm. because what we're gonna do like let people die (laughs) yeah Um, no this is the thing like you it just makes you think though when it's like the fact that it's never... We, it's abysmal. We can't, we can't, That's what it is. It's abysmal. An, the fact that you can't like think yeah. this was a time where people needed to go somewhere else and they were treated fairly and then they went there and then everything was fine afterwards because the country housed them and did this and did that. Mm. 
is is that due is that due to the fact that it is beyond their capability or is it due to the fact that they just there's just so much resistance and like justice needs of, to be bought yeah. like and it's not even the case that the, the rohingya need to be uh rehoused they need to be re- like they need their land back they need their homes back they need um citizenship re- like reinstated you know like the, mm. the Myanmar government needs to be held accountable for what they have done you know on this note like one thing that i do want to say is um so the gambia <laughs> oh this makes me so emotional like when this case was ongoing like anytime i would read the news it would make me cry like literally physically bring me to tears um so the gambia are the only country in the world bless them tiny tiny gambia who don't have much for themselves took the Myanmar government to court like they took they took their honestly i'm getting like really emotional just saying it but like they they stood up for the rohingya people they took the Myanmar government to human rights court um <coughs> because they face also genocide in their history and gambia bro the gambia what do they have man they have nothing they have nothing and they're, they're the ones sticking up for the rohingya people and when the case was ongoing like i was watching clips of the rohingya people in their refugee camps with screens of like um like like uh, projectors of kind of 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 progress on the case and like sending love like just just the two people like sending love and solidarity to each other like it was so touching and honestly like the gambia i love you i respect you so much thank you for doing like what bigger richer more capable countries should have been doing shout out the gambia man Gambia. Moving on from that, though, obviously, like we talked a bit about like the hot weather, summer, and that, and I wanted to know because I remember before when we talked, when they first announced all twenty first of June thing, you and Simran were all like, um, "Oh yeah, like as soon as I can, I am out of here. Like I'm going." Yeah, all I way. am. No, I am. Yeah, but Trust this is me, the dog. thing: is it too early to like start being oh. like, "Oh, I want to go here," like, like because this is the thing that I. I mean, like I said, I'm not that fussed, but at the same time, um, if I wanted to go on a holiday, I would be a bit like, mm, I don't know, like, is it worth like booking it just like for things to maybe change? Change, you know what I mean? I don't um, know. What do you think? So you see me, yeah. See how I come like ten minutes late to every show. Do you think <laughs> I'll, I'll be booking things that much in advance? <laughs> it would be like enough. the week in advance, max. Like any time I've ever gone away, I don't, I don't book tickets in advance. Like I'm very spontaneous. Um. Well, we've got a green list now, don't we? I know there's only a few countries in it, but like... Yeah, and they're all like random islands in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, well, Portugal. Well, that's taken off now. Huh? Got taken off. Don't lie. It went from green to... That was supposed to to be my birthday (laughs) destination. (laughs) Don't lie. It went from green to amber. Don't lie. Why? I I don't know, but I have a feeling all of us going there for the Champions League final. These bloody Brits. They ruin everything. I have a feeling that us going there for the Champions League final will have had something to do with it. Yeah. Man, British people actually, man, them man should not be allowed to move past their borders anywhere they go in the world. They just mess everything up. I'm so annoyed right now. That's... Portugal was supposed to be my birthday destination. You still, you got time. They ruined my birthday. It's well, ugh. One, two. You got three months, like Carlos. Ugh, you just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... I'm, I'm annoyed. Well, I don't know. Hopefully, they put more things on on the list. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm going. I'm. 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 I don't want to say anything on air, like for me to get in trouble. But like, I'm going 
somewhere. Catchily, <laughs> somehow. Catchily, going Wales. No, 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 no. Somewhere where I have family that I, where I have an excuse to be. Catch Shalima going long. <laughs> <laughs> Catch me on Brestford Road. <laughs> oh dear. No, no, no. Um, but so on your mind. Let you, me not beat myself out, anyways, yeah. man. You'll see when I'm gone in it. <laughs> so in your mind, it doesn't matter like about whether or not to book stuff because you would book it like last minute anyway. Mm, mm. So that's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. When I'm when I'm ready to go, and if we're allowed to go, I'm out. Fair enough. By the grace, by the will and grace of God. Well, you heard her, so. Exactly. Right, so besides all the hot weather and that, mm-hmm. June, as we know, is also the month of Pride. Mm, um, got, yeah. um, Happy Pride! You know what's weird, though, is that, like, Pride events, or certainly, I don't know about everywhere else, but, like, in Manchester, it's never actually in June, which is, like, weird. You'd Are think it would be, it's always in August, which is mm-hmm. weird. You'd think it'd be during the actual, like, month of pride but is it they have like pride and like different it's different months in different countries no i think pride there was a Fre- yeah. there was a pride in february yeah yeah exactly this thing like pride month is june but the pride festival like celebrations is like oh. they do it whenever but that's why i don't get why don't they do it in june, june. you know oh, what i mean I didn't know that. Okay. like i thought it was i thought it was like you know how they have like uh black history months in like different months and then uh, like, in america and in the uk and the like mother's day is like different days and stuff like that yeah that's what I, I, I don't understand like like whoever's in charge like obviously it's a nationalism again people yeah. like having their own like things in the country day. yeah don't get that but going back to Pride, um, obviously it's a month to celebrate the LGBTQ plus community. And shout out my LGBTQ plus dons. Yes, definitely shout out. And But the thing is as well, I also doing that, but not also being tokenistic. Yeah. So first of all, what are your thoughts on the brands that adopt the rainbow thing for the month of june do you think that it's tokenistic do you think like it's showing solidarity or do you think like it's just let them do what they want um disclaimer this conversation since neither of us belong to the LGBTQ yeah, yeah. community is obviously like speculation and us talking from what we know um i don't know i can't i can't really say like if if an lgbt if if, if someone from the lgbtq plus community looks at like brand solidarity and it means something to them like it's not for me to say like oh it's not authentic mm. however however um i'm sorry but can capitalism ever be a genuine ally to any oppressed group of people the answer is no like that is an objective mm. fact um and i've seen numerous um people from the lgbtq plus community talking about how uh, it is tokenistic and how it doesn't mean anything um there's actually one story that I read about somebody who is so ridiculous. This is in February. Um, someone who works for this company and obviously during February they had um the pride flags like everywhere in the office. Literally the first day of March the the manager came in and they was like, Oh, come, we need to take them down now. Let's get them off. Yeah, no, I I remember seeing that tweet and it was like, Yeah, for literally first day. No. Yeah. Honestly, it. like it, and that oh. just goes to show like it's nice, like, things are, you know, especially for, like, oppressed group of people, like, 
it's important to have symbolism, right? Mm. Things that are symbolic, things that are symbolic, things that are ritualistic are important, but not as an alternative for genuine, like, solidarity and allyship and change as well. Yeah. The thing is as well, like, besides the whole, um, what's it called, tokenistic element of adopting the rainbow flag just for the month month of june you also have it in terms of the actual pride events like 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 Liam said like obviously this is just based on our speculation not in uh, not lived yeah. subjectivity yeah yeah but the people that go to um pride events mm. it has like you say it's basically been turned into a capitalistic thing mm -hmm. like it's very much like what started out as a protest and what started out as um being a protest and mm -hmm. celebration just people expressing themselves mm -hmm. is now an opportunity mm -hmm. for yep. companies to profit from and yep. profit from this celebration yep. charge people to see this this person that person like get into this event whatever like i i myself i'm going to birmingham pride like it's in september i mm. think and book ticket and book tickets like literally like six seven months in advance like oh, wow. li literally mm. like it's it's basically a festival and it's yeah. just a bit like considering that half actually no, i'd say like half of the people that are going to that from my group aren't necessarily part of the lgbt people's yeah. community including me mm. it is a bit like I, I it, and it crosses my mind as well, like you know, like um, gay clubs as well. Yeah. Um, going there, I'm always quite wary of just being like, am I encroaching? Am, am yeah. I encroaching on their space? I like, yeah. like because let's be honest, if you ever been to a gay club, you know that that is it's a good time. Yeah. Like it's it's so much more f less um, there's so much less harassment, yeah. so much less leering like yeah. just general good vibes people there have to have a good time yeah. but and whilst that makes you me want to go there when i do go there i can't help but feeling oh like you have to there yeah. has to be some kind of admission that that space wasn't necessarily made for you and that you're going um you're going as an outsider like i think mm. i think you have to be invited to these things right so like if you're just kind of going just for a, um a good time and you're not understanding the message and the significance of what the festival is or what a gay bar is that's a bit uh techie <laughs> yeah. but like if you're going at the invite of of someone from the community or you're going to like show genuine like solidarity and whatever else then yeah like it's a different thing um i don't necessarily think that just going back to what you said before i don't think festivals I think festivals are a great way to celebrate um, LGBTQ plus history. Um, it's the commodification of that history that's the problem. Um, and I don't think one necessarily indicates the other, like you can have a festival without, um, uh, like you can enjoy the, the festivity of it and, and the honoring and the celebrating of it without, without co-signing on the commodification. But unfortunately, the way that these things happen, there is an inherent... A, co a commodification and a, uh, this is what capitalism does right it creates that oppression mm. and then it commodifies that oppression um it neatly packages it up and like it, it neatly packages up like liberation and sells it to the people that are oppressed in the first place mm. and you see this all the time like we see it with blm as well like how it then becomes like a marketing point 
same thing with pride it becomes a marketing point um yeah. it's like when we i posted that clip on mango masala of when we were talking about the olympics banning blm apparel yeah. the first thing that happens is some kind of bot or something like sees the hashtag or what we're talking about and like pops up on it saying we think you'd be great for our blm apparel and it's just oh like oh my god he's yeah, like mate none, none of us here are black like I why why are you coming to us yeah, like honestly, honestly. Uh, yeah. Like, well, that you just you do have to be wary of that. You have to be wary of that, and also like I think again, like speaking as an outsider, but someone who kind of who understands um a little bit of the conception of pride, um I think it's really important. And one thing that is not uh uh I think uh, given as much attention to is how pride started. Right, mm-hmm. it was a black trans woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that again, like. There's there's something about kind of like um, various forms of oppression where people think like the oppressor, the oppressed, and the oppressed can't oppress. Yeah, well, you that's know? where intersectionality comes in. Right, isn't it? exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was just about to bring up. Right, so it's not to say that anyone like I've seen a lot of like um, queer folk of color talking about how, um, for example, like white queer people. Um, just because they they belong to like an oppressed group they believe that they therefore can't oppress but like they're Mm. also like racist or like for example gay people who are also like transphobic um like Mm. it's it's important to understand that like standing in solidarity with with the lgbtq plus community it's not a blanket solidarity like you have to stand in solidarity with it through an intersectional lens right like if you're going to say that i'm an ally you have to understand that it's not just one blanket oppression that fits all of them and there are various layers and intersections in all of this and and you have to understand that you know uh extending your solidarity to uh, a white gay person is different to extending your solidarity to a trans person or extending your solidarity is that's different to extending it to a uh, a black queer person or a muslim queer person so mm-hmm. i think that's that's something that's us as like allies that we need to like understand yeah and i think again like if anyone's watching this and feels like uncomfortable with us saying this as outsiders i appreciate and understand that but then at the same time i'm also like not wrong you know what i mean like especially considering that we're talking from the perspective of the other oppressed part basically so like Mm -hmm. it's like come on guys like there are so many different forms of oppression. We should all be helping out each other and all just sticking together rather than mm, yeah. standing up against yep, each yep, other. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, just linking the idea of pride and um, LGBT, LGBTQ plus um, into South Asia, because obviously that's what the show's about. Yep. I um, looked a bit into it because I've always been aware of the fact that... Um, in South Asia, before um, colonization, yep. there was the prevalence <laughs> yep. of this idea of the third, third gender, gender. Yeah. and it was the British that came. And... It was like Victorian Christianity, basically, that chastises yeah. all of that, and they they yeah. implemented sodomy laws and they inter- implemented gender roles, and, and yeah. as we see it today. So, like, I like just like looked a bit into that. Mm. So, um, these like um. This third gender is known as um, hijra. hijra. I think that yeah. in I think they called something something else in Pakistan, but that's what we're gonna yeah. go with. Um, so, can I you, say something? Yeah, go for it. Just to just so to cut you off, but one one 
good thing recently, like in recent news about Bangladesh, since I was like uh, berating them today, <laughs> um, Bangladesh recently in the past few months opened up its first, so Madrasha is an Islamic school. Um, Bangladesh opened up its first Madrasha for Hijras mm. in the past few months, which like um, I was really pleased to see. Yeah, you're not all bad, Bangladesh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are some like the the Hijra community. They're a very interesting, uh, interesting kind of community in Bangladesh. Like in some ways, they are they are very, very, very much sewn into the fabric of Bengali culture. As I said, like pre in pre colonial times, like and especially if we look back to like um, the Hindu roots of Bangladesh, because obviously like we were Hindu before we were Muslim. Um, like the Hijras and specifically like third sex people. Um, have a very a very kind of like revered position in like society they're kind of seen as like portals of like spirituality and all that kind of stuff um not to not to iconize them past like human like past being human but um yeah like so so in some ways like they're really revered but also in a lot of ways like especially in the post-colonial period they're just so discriminated against Mm. Like just to give a bit of context to people that Sorry, don't know like what 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 because like people might not know like what um hijras are yeah um so basically other terms used as eunuchs intersex people yeah. and transgender people they basically are neither male nor female it's a very it's a very like it's a very specifically South Asian thing mm. like there's not you can translate it and so so the thing like sexuality is so uh, is 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 uh, presented and performed so many different ways in different cultures different religions and different uh like schools of thoughts and spiritualities like there is no one uniform global performance of gender and sexuality so what we know as a hijra in a different in a different um culture might be a different thing or in a different culture it might not even exist in the same way so mm-hmm. it is a specifically south asian like regional thing i just wanted to say but mm-hmm. we can try and like, translate it into yeah so like in order to try and like translate it and give this sort of idea of what um hijras are they often stand uh, so they often dress up like women describe themselves as being um either born that way or they're castrated hence the eunuch um so like you were saying before in terms of like spiritual spirituality they're um, often thought to have the power to bless um fertility also yeah, curse yeah. it yeah, so yeah, yeah. they're often invited to like weddings and like baby showers yeah. and, like, and stuff like that to, to bless basically yeah. like, to, to bestow the blessing and that's why i said it's, it goes back to like the pre-colonial times when they were they were treated with like great reverence mm-hmm. and many live obviously because of their um biological situation um many live with adopted children and male partners yeah. Um, and in 2014, the India Supreme Court actually officially recognised this third gender yeah. in uh, falling into that third gender category. So to give a bit of history as to the colonial interference in the <laughs> Hijra community, which was peacefully existing before this. Um, so I think india was colonized officially by britain i think in the 1850s around then um i think it happened piece by piece yeah so in 1852 um a hijra called bura was found brutally murdered in india during the trial which was carried out by the by the british 
um, people and the English-speaking Indian people, they described hijras as cross-dressers, beggars, and unnatural prostitutes. One judge said the community was an opprobrium upon colonial rule. Oh. Another claimed that their existence was a reproach to the British government. Oh. And they and also, get out, bro. Who told you to stay there? Ugh. Literally. And others said they were a danger to public morals and a threat to colonial political authority. Now, years after Bora's murder, the provinces um, launched a campaign. So, in terms of, this is again, the Indians, sorry, the English-speaking Indian people under British rule um, launched a campaign to reduce the number of eunuchs with the objective of gradually causing their extinction. So, again, ethnic cleansing. Well, not ethnic cleansing. More like, what is it? If it's not ethnic, it's sector cleansing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Basically, getting rid of massacre, these people. Like, yeah. So, these Hijras were considered a criminal tribe under a controversial 1871 law, mm. which targeted caste groups also and considered them to be hereditary criminals. Basically, mm-hmm. like, yeah. they it's in their nature. Yeah, they're going to yeah. do this, they're going to do that. Eugenics, yeah. So, this law armed the police with the power of increased surveillance of the community. They were all put on registers with their personal details um defining them as criminals and sexually deviant persons um the registration was also a means of surveillance and a way to ensure that the um opted castration by the way this isn't like it's it's not like a a cult where it's like you get like brainwashed in and then they were like um chopping your bits off basically like it is like it, it's, it's, it's all about choice it's essentially gender reassignment surgery as yeah you see it today but like yeah. back then it was obviously a bit different yeah so they were trying to stamp that out and ensure that this is the the most um disturbing thing is like saying that the tracy trying to stop the hijra population being reproduced yeah. which is so mad because when you obviously think about the um biology behind this mm-hmm. from a biological perspective um Hijra people cannot be reproduced in the way of giving birth and then being born a Hijra per se, yeah, um, yeah, unless yeah, they yeah. unless they identify as that. Yeah. So that when they say reproduce, they are meaning stopping the passing on of these traditions Tradition, of this yeah. way of living, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, just yeah. why that brainwashing essentially. Yeah. So they were prevented from being able to wear female clothing or jewelry, prevented from performing in public threatened with fines or thrown into prison, cut their hair, strip them if they wore female clothing, experienced police intimidation and coercion. And what's really sad as well is they took away their adopted kids, which I've had conversations actually with a few of my friends who actually in the um, LGBTQ plus community about this idea of the nuclear family. And they've expressed their opinion of how obviously... New family support is a good thing to have. Yeah. However, we are very much confined to this idea of a nuclear family. And they yeah. were saying about how, why is it that we need to have mum, dad, then support the kids? Why can't it be like different? You know what I mean? Why can't it be being raised by community or yeah, raised by multiple people? It is like, as we see it today, is capitalistic, patriarchal. Like, uh, we can go into that another time, but like, yeah, that is yeah. where its roots are. Yeah, but yeah, they, they, it's really sad. They took away their adopted kids, so their kids, um, to rescue them from a life of infamy, 
And if they lived with a male child, which obviously they were then like, oh, they're going to castrate them, um, then they would be risked fines and jails. However, very few of these male children that were living with the Hijras had actually been emasculated at this time um, because it was very much it was a choice thing and also they were still living with their biological parents for the most part they were just part of the community and what's worse as well is like this tirade expanded out beyond Hijras and basically expanded to other non-binary groups such as men who were wearing effeminate clothing or Mm. performed in feminine roles in theatre or dance that sort of thing and really sorry so no, go on. I was just gonna say they just really like violently implemented Victorian notions of gender. Mm. And I think what's a true testament to the Hijra people is somehow, <laughs> yeah, they managed to survive and somehow they're still here. Shout out, man! Yeah, and they they are still discriminated against, mm. but mm. they um, are still able to perform at weddings, all that type of stuff. Yeah, in Bangladesh, just... like you go to a wedding and that's that's like they're there. You know, I've seen them perform loads of times. Mm. Um, it's just, um, it's just sad that like, the thing is as well, I think a problem, there is definitely a problem within the South Asian community in terms of, well, we know that we can be quite judgy. We know that we can be quite um, standoffish, yeah. but in terms of sexuality as well, yeah both in terms of accepting it and also just letting people live their lives. I think that's the 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 second one is the thing that I find most problem with because whilst whilst I don't condone homophobia um and I wish that more South Asian people would understand that their in it closeted homophobia probably does come from colonial times. Mm-hmm. I do understand how hard it is to break from what you don't know, and if you're not yeah. hate, if you're not hating, then like I respect your decision to, I respect your decision to be like I I don't necessarily agree with that, but um I but you do you. That's the thing. You do you. That's 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 why I find a problem with is when it they when they don't about, say you do you. It's not even about agreeing. Like even that's a little bit like. I know how you meant it, but just mm. to kind of like clarify, even that's a little bit techy. Like, who are you to yeah. agree or not agree with somebody else's existence? Like, exactly. You're not God. You have no authority. It's not for you to say that you agree with it. If you personally think that homophobia is this terrible, terrible travesty, like, don't be gay. <laughs> yeah, I... Don't be gay then, you know? Like, but don't chat on other people's, like, existence. This... Don't don't you are you to validate or invalidate someone like a gay person is not asking you can I exist a gay person is not asking mm. you for permission please agree with me so that I can exist they don't they don't care bro just leave them alone yeah this is the thing like you see like if we're talking about homophobia yeah um or we're just talking about like queer discrimination in general you see Muslims oh my god oh my god so obviously like we've said that it's uh, you know in the subcontinent specifically it is a it is like a colonial hangover but homophobia has taken on a completely uh like d- different characteristic like um di- it's taken on like a really formidable character in the post-colonial period now where it is so rigid you know among muslims especially so rigid um because like of of like it uh perceived islamic jurisprudence on um like queerness and in the same way how we spoke about about um 
South Asian civilizations and communities and societies having a revered and a designated place and significance for queer people um, or gender fluid people. Um, so does Islam, you know. And this is something that a lot of Muslims don't understand. Like um, from from the Prophet's time, peace be upon him, um, he he was in the company of people who were neither men or women. You know, he was in the company of eunuchs. He was in the company of um, gender fluid people. Um, th- there's there's uh, written accounts of intersex people in Islam. The Prophet respected them. The Prophet kept them as company. Um, so Muslims today, again, the 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 way that 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 this colonial homophobia has evolved and taken such a stronghold on like the muslim community guys like just allow it you know like just allow it this is it just makes it so i just find it so frustrating that like you say it's even a case of him who are you to even say oh i don't agree with it but you you can do that but when they go to the extreme of actually judging others like just just, like literally just saying like i don't agree with that why are they doing that or like saying that oh like oh oh, praying for them it's like that like just leave them them alone bro god did not put you here to authorize someone else's existence like just get your head out of your backside and another thing sorry now that i'm talking about it um the way the muslims the muslim people um they 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 guise their uh, homophobia as some kind of islamic righteousness um and it's not the case it's not it's not nothing to do with islamic righteousness it's just your own personal hate because they say oh it's a sin I don't like homophobia because it's a sin in Islam. Well, God also said alcohol is a sin. God also said zina is a sin. God also said premarital sex is a sin. You are not walking around treating uh, a straight person who drinks with the same disdain as you treat a queer person. You know, Mm. like check yourself. Honestly, look inwards, look in, in yourself and ask yourself, where is this hate coming from? And is it actually justified within your faith? Because I'm telling you now, it's not. It's just not. I just don't understand why there's such a need to critique others and it's like you know when we talked before about the whole idea of not fasting during ramadan for various reasons and Mm. the amount of people that commented on that saying oh like she needs to be careful like this isn't the other side i'm just like i don't need to be careful no i don't who are you who are you (sighs) Uh, i'll say what i want to say and it's just like (laughs) why are people so bothered about what other people are doing just focus on yourself and this extends beyond the idea of um, pride it, it extends to these people um, any on, form of hate yeah these people any form of hate, these people the on like twitter who will tweet like oh like um these girls um whenever like i saw on a tweet the other day that was like oh girls whenever you're um, sweating in your hijab and you see another um another girl like acting freely but she's um she's 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 cooler because she's not wearing as much um, clothing Mm. remember that blah 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 i'm just like just remember the hellfire is hotter and you'll be rewarded yeah it's just like muslims are weird man muslims are corny but but the thing is as well like i'm not like we're not coming for muslims in particular obviously Mm. the examples well i can't but like the the examples that we're using obviously that but i think it extends to south asian people in general general. yeah 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 it can be very judgy very oh what will they say oh yeah. this that the other like 
who cares? Just focus on you yourself. It. It's true. It's true. Look, look. Muslims are are so judgmental. I'll just say it. I'm I'm saying this as a lifelong Muslim, um, who has only ever belonged to Muslim communities. Muslims are so judgmental. Like it's ridiculous. Like you'd even think that they're on God's payroll. You'd even think that God sent them down to to be checking and writing notes on who's doing what. On the day of judgment, God is going to ask you about yourself, and that's it. Yeah, you attest to yourself, and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. live your life in it. Do what you got to do to get to heaven. That's it. Yeah. Like on that note, probably have to round that off there. But um, just want to give a shout out. Um, if you can think of any South Asian queer um, icons that people can go to, I've got a few on the top of my head. Like. There's not there's not that many in the public eye actually, which is quite sad. Mm. But think of a few got Tan France, Tan France. That's his name. The one from Queer Eye. Oh, I never watched it. Is he South Asian? Yeah. What is he? I think he's Indian. Oh, okay. I think he's oh. Indian British. Oh, is it Pakistani British? Oh. But yeah, he's brown. Um, <laughs> he was brown. He'll do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he he obviously is living his best life. Then you've got I. I looked it up, but I've forgotten their name, but it was um, the, there's an Indian prince who has oh. become the first openly gay Indian prince, oh. um, so shout out to him. Shout out to yeah. the Indian prince, um, <laughs> of, to see it. And I say, like, obviously, the next two people, I'm a bit like, I don't know how much I vibe with you, but at the same time, you're doing bits, so Did shout out to you. Yeah, and, all, and also um, Jamila Jamil. Um, is she queer? Yeah, apparently, oh, yeah. Okay. Actually, I shouldn't say apparently. I apologise for that. Like, but yeah. she has said she is. Yeah, she has said she is, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. Like I say, um, various interesting reasons um, why <laughs> might not vibe with either of them, but shout out to them. And finally, shout out to that I know of, I think the only LGBT lgbtq plus person we've had on the show so far um lucky roy singh in manchester's or i think the uk's um first or first openly gay indian punjabi sikh drag queen like i've got all that in. make sure to go buy their book um i think it's called in my indian heels or something yeah shout out to lucky um and yeah any lgbtq plus um, South Asians listening, please do get in touch if you ever want to come on the show. Um, it doesn't have to be about them being a member of the community; it can be about anything. But obviously, we want to get you on and just want we just want to talk to everyone. Really, mm. I was thinking about obviously like June is Pride Month. Should we like try and get more people on? But I think that is a bit tokenistic because like, I don't necessarily want just to. Want to do it during yeah, Pride, like yeah. Just in general, literally, like, just we're reach here, out. We're here for you guys. Yeah definitely coming to the end of the show now i thought that we could do a little bit of a quiz Selim, because it's been a while mm-hmm. um and i thought we could do one that we can do together i like made one of those buzzfeed ones Ooh, okay so like let's see what Wait, there is, is. It a competitive one well i i don't know uh, now i was thinking like one that tells you what you are oh, sort of thing i mean we can do a competitive one if you want i want to win though <laughs> right let's have a look and see what we can find if you're not here. gonna let me win then i don't want to do it Oh. I'll guarantee my victory. You can guarantee your victory another day. <laughs> right. What are we feeling? Are we feeling... Um, oh, I saw one, actually, that was good. It was You like Harry Potter, right? Oh, I love Harry Potter. 
Yeah, it was like, wait, would these characters survive the Hunger Games? Like, oh. like you know, like a debate, like, oh, do we, do we, th- basically, do we think that they would like last in like a battle to the death? Yes. Yeah. So let's let's do that one then. Right. Where is it? Right. Here we go. Let me just send you the link. So for the people at home, we are going to be going through various Harry Potter characters and saying whether we think they would make it through the Hunger Games. Have you watched Hunger Games or mm-hmm. read it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, you oh, know, like the gist of that. I was so upset when, spoiler alert, when they killed uh, Prim. Yeah, it kind of made... dashed. I dashed my book. I remember <laughs> when I was reading it, I dashed the book. Kind of makes the whole thing a bit pointless. In it. <laughs> like literally like what was the point of her like sacrifice basically putting her life on the line for her in the first book when she's just gonna die anyway yeah yeah but yeah we're gonna decide whether harry potter characters would make it through the hunger games bear in mind that these characters have made it through a lot regardless so that's what i meant easy yeah i'm sorry they could face voldemort and the death eaters right so is harry potter making it through yeah. the yeah i mean he has to doesn't he like he survived 75% said yes, 25% said no. All right. Hermione Granger, yeah. Like, Hermione's making it. Yeah. yeah. Very smart. Now, Ron, I don't, I think Ron's a goner. Let's be honest. Goner. Like, if it's, every, if, it's, if it's every man for himself, that's how we're doing it. Oh. He well, is, isn't he? He is a goner, but sometimes he surprises you. I feel like in every book, in every film, there's something that Ron does that guarantees their victory as in like as in like he's like a plot facilitator in it true but then when you think about the hunger on his game, own yeah. when you think about the hunger games thing you have to like quit reactions and i think it's useless sometimes yeah okay, yeah 82 no. <laughs> percent said no Malfoy, Malfoy. Nah, he's a he's a he's a i can't say the word on camera but He'd get through the first like few stages by like killing other people yeah. and then he'd get done because he's like a, he got scared um, choose which p word you want to call him <laughs> from that way. Yeah. yeah, he would, he would lose. Neville, I love you, but like, no, you're not. Neville Longbottom is not good for the big games. He might be an underdog. Yeah, but like, again, it comes down to like skill he's and agility. Smart. He's smart, not just skill and agility. Like, it's tactic as well. Okay, mm. yeah, he's not that tactical. I don't know. He just surprises you sometimes, doesn't he? I'm gonna say no. Yeah, sixty-eight percent no. Luna love good. like Luna. No. I, I feel like everyone is just gonna be no. See, now. I can imagine Luna doing it. You know. Okay. Like that's true. Yeah, I think she's more like than Neville or Ron. Oh, okay, yeah, hell yeah, fifty-three. Wow, Ginny. Ginny no. See, right, Ginny in the book. Right, can we just have a discussion, right? Go on. So, Ginny in the books and Ginny in the film are two very different people. No disrespect to Bonnie Wright. However, <laughs> I, I, it's the director's fault. However. Like, I'm sorry, but she's just not, like, feisty enough. In the book, in the she's book. meant to be, like, proper, like, yeah, really true. for it. Like, that's true, so that's in, true. in the book, yes. Bonnie Wright, no, sorry. Well, that's what I mean. They put absolutely less. Yes, because, like, in, in the book, yes, she would make it. Fred and George Weasley. Well, <laughs> one of them would, one of them wouldn't. Oh, Triggered. All right, Pete. <laughs> all right, Pete. Well, Paul, I'll Ow. Ow. <laughs> Triggered. <laughs> why, uh, did they, why did she need to do that? Why did J.K. Rowling need to do that? Like, think, why did she do that? I think because she but did. By the end of it, she was just being bearing doors yeah. with the people she was killing off, man. I think it's because she knew that she couldn't kill him, Mr. Weasley, off because he was the only good 
part of the figure, so then for Fred to take the hit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think actually, if if we were imagining them as being the pair of them, like in the Hunger Games, then yeah. Oh, then. Show chat. Bye bye. My little sister does such a good impression of her. Expelliarmus. Expelliarmus. You know, one thing I never got is you know, like she's Scottish. Yeah. So like, does she literally go from Scotland? All the way down to London to get the train up back up to again. Scotland again. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's so silly. Like, why? Oh, yeah. oh, it doesn't God. make any sense. <laughs> Lavender that. Brown, negative. No. Bye bye. Hate her. Seamus Finnegan. Now nah, he'd set himself on fire. Well, that was an interesting way to round off. So basically, off. it's Harry Potter, Hermione Granger. The Weasley twins and Luna Lovegood. They're our best bets. Yeah. And the rest of them are useless. How do you think you do in the Hunger Games? Me? Yeah. Oh my god. That's a good question, you know. I actually. Hmm. I feel like you could do yeah, well. What do you think? How do you think I would do in the Hunger Games? Well, I think I don't know, like. I think in terms of your, like, ruthlessness, yeah. I think if your life depended on it, I can imagine you, like. I don't want to get. <laughs> Go on, being ruthless. Yes, in. Really, I don't think I have it in me. You know, I'm actually best off, Carlo. Like, I feel like I could throw hands and that, but taking a life, goodness gracious. But if it was like, your life your life or theirs, or theirs yeah. like yeah. But I feel like every human is capable of that. No, like that's just survival. Yeah, that's just basic human survival instinct. I think where it comes down to it is like how like um, fit are you like in terms. Okay, yeah, in that case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like me at the moment, I'm just like no. <laughs> I'd nah. have to get really strong. Like once I'm really strong, then I feel like I will be. You know what it is the anemia? <laughs> if I wasn't anemic, I would be unstoppable. You know, you have like a note to get out of PE. It's like a note yeah, to get basically. out of the Hunger Games. Like, oh. I'm anemic. <laughs> Honest to God, though, this anemia has been shagging me recently, man. I um, need to actually book a blood test because um, I haven't been. I, the amount that I've been sitting under the sun. To be fair, like, the past few days I have tanned quite a lot. But the first few days of the sun, I just wasn't tanning. Like, I would be, be sitting under the sun, like, all day. And I'll still be really pale. Mm. And, uh, it's, it's anemia. And Babylon. What's the second one? Babylon, like the wicked city in the west. Oh, oh. It's biblical. Oh, that, like, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that from you, but yeah, go on then. <laughs> oh. Get me out. That's what I always say to people, like, get me out of Babylon. Well, I was saying, like, if you want to say, it might not even be you, just the British sun just doesn't hit the same, does it? Like, I, I actually don't, listen, for me, sun is sun. Do you think I've gotten darker, Carla? Yeah, a bit, but like not like ridiculous, right, like see, you say. Like... See me usually, yeah, half an hour in the sun, I would go like two, three shades darker. Like people mm. literally used to look at me with envy at my uh, propensity to tan. And now, hours in the sun, I get gradually one shade darker, one shade darker. Mm. See no. what this country has done to me. <laughs> this is why I mean. I think it is British sun. Like I, I can go Even somewhere. In British sun, man, half an hour. That's it. I'm a different person. <laughs> Just this year, I don't know. It's probably like a year. And a half. Yeah, but actually, you know, like, when I was travelling around Europe, that was the darkest I've ever been. 
like even compared to like when i've been in asia and i think it's because in asia even though it's like technically hotter is the climate so like it's it's just like humid and yeah. like the air is just hot. cloudy as well yeah whereas yeah. in europe like when it's hot it's because the sun is directly beating on you yeah, it's not the atmosphere yeah. it's not the climate it's the sun well i mean yeah that's why like you probably get the most time that tanning. yeah you probably get the most time that you could be if you went somewhere like the sahara or something like that like yeah. where it's like dry and hot rather than like muggy and that mm. yeah so that's my mission been pale for too long should document your journey um people were ask, actually asking me like my family have been asking me like if i'm ill <laughs> like they're literally asking me are you ill are you okay but how's the rest of your family doing in terms of like tanning are they like fine or like we're, we're sitting we're sitting under the sun together mm. tell me why they've all gone like two three shades darker and this is me with one shade darker well then it does depend on genetics as well doesn't no, it no like, before this year, I used to tan like three. I'm not even exaggerating when I say I would tan three, four shades in half an hour. Like, put me in the sun for half an hour and I'll get so much darker. I need to call doctors, man. There's something wrong with me. Well, imagine they come back and they do um, a DNA test and you find out that you've actually got um, a bit of a um, colonizer. Oh in my you. god, a bit of Caucasian. <laughs> oh, well, I would have the the worst like existential crisis <laughs> ever i don't see i would have like the, the greatest existential our existential crisis like no one has existential crisis before terrible god forbid i should have thought on that note <laughs> um thanks a lot for anyone that's tuned in today this has been mango Marcel, the south asian show on pi radio um if you want to follow us, go to Instagram at Mango Masala Radio or other socials as well. Also Twitter, Mango Masala MCR. But yeah, Instagram's where it's at, let's be honest. And yeah, we will see My you next... Sorry to interrupt you. My cousins have been telling me that we need to capitalise more on our TikTok audience. Yeah. Well, there you go, Halim. I want to ask this before we go. Like, What do you actually do? Are you still fun employed? Get on TikTok then, oh. like, d- do something. TikTok, I'll, you know what, I'm going to recruit my sister and my, my cousins, like, they're, yeah. really, they're really TikTok Yeah, savvy. do that. They're really TikTok savvy. Because, like, we've had a few, we had one that went, like, basically viral. Oh, and really? Then, like, yeah, the, the Demi Lovato one. Oh, did it? Yeah. It's I, got, don't, like, I don't use TikTok like that. It's got, like, 150,000 plays. Wow. One of my sister's videos got one million. On that note, I told right. you I'll get her on it. I'll get her on it.